Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on January 28, 2020. This is a special edition of New Business Paradigms, trying out a slightly different format. Since Ronaldo's been away for the month of January and is just dropping in for a few minutes today to go over some of his thoughts on pressing topics, on the headlines and how it's affecting our economy. We'll go back to our typical format in February, but we just wanted to get this one in the can, so to speak. Before we get going, I would like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org if you have questions or comments about the show today or if you have anything you'd like for us to discuss in the future, ideas for the show, we'd love to hear from you. As always, you can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Just search World Business Academy. All right, Ronaldo, welcome back to California for the day. Yeah, I'm it's excited great to be to, back for the day. I'm excited to have you See, on the show. Two days. Yeah. I did two days in California. It was great. So I don't know if you want to do a real brief summary overview well, I mean, on economic indicators yeah, before well, we about, jump into some of the questions uh, yeah, I have for you. Yeah, let's, let's just do a quick look at the landscape because uh, we're, we're doing this the day after the market fell 480 points and it went up 187 today, so it's like it continues to bob and weave. But the overall trend line in the market cannot be up. Mm-hmm. It has to be sideways or down. And even though it's grown, let's say, if you measure by the Dow, 17% in the last year, uh, S&P's had an even better run, 24% in the last year. I, I, I don't know a single observer of the market that doesn't think that the, the valuations are now stretched to the breaking point. So what keeps the market going up? Well, because the Fed keeps printing money. In fact, just yesterday, the Fed said, again, is, and maybe in response to the coronavirus, which we'll talk about in a moment, they'll print even more money. And when you print money, it makes, um, it makes for the economy to go up. Because what you're doing is you're, you're supplying liquidity in lieu of, Productivity. Mm-hmm. So, so that liquidity, that, that, that money sloshing around, creates profitability for banks, particularly. But it also creates uh, a, a general lift in the economy. And, and when you compare that the market's gone up, let's say on average about twenty percent, and you compare that with the fact that the that rate wages rose less than they did in twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. uh, when you take into account that uh, retail trade added. Uh, only 41,000 jobs total, and that we're now down to monthly job growth, which is a fraction of what it was just in 2019, um, you, you, you get a very mixed bag. Um, the labor market has not yet run out of steam, so to speak, according to the New York Times, but it's run out of good-paying jobs. Right. So what's really lifting the economy right now is that we've raised the minimum wage. We've talked about this in the show before. So 19 jurisdictions in 2019 raised the minimum wage, which was directly responsible for the 2.1% growth we got, or 2.2. The, the, the growth ahead of us will be a function of additional minimum wage increases, which are kicking in this year in at least 16 jurisdictions. And they'll be, it'll be owed to the fact that the Fed's already said they're going to keep printing money. In fact, there's one thing that they're threatening to print the money actually in the next month or so when there's right. no reason to. And you add one more thing to that. Um, I'm going to add three more things to it. Number one, you add the the global economy is running out of steam for a variety of reasons. You've got Brexit. You've got the, U, the EU going sideways. 
You got the American economy growing barely at the rate of inflation. You got the Chinese economy shrinking down to probably about five, six percent, what it's been used to doing about seven to nine percent. You've got the Indian economy growing probably at about, mm, I'm going to say six percent, used to be doing eight. So, and, and that Indian economy is becoming under some jeopardy because of the political instability mm -hmm. of the Muslim mm -hmm. issue. So when you've got all these things going on, although I did note that the Indian government did turn on the internet and they turned on reporting back in, uh, up in the, uh, the province that's uh, being uh, in the Muslim. The, with the Muslims, yeah. yeah. So up there um, in, in the Himalayas, they're, they're basically starting to more normalize what was a very abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they would revoke the unique status of an entire province like that because it was Muslim controlled is disconcerting. Uh, I had a conversation with a very good friend, a senior business leader from India, and I asked him point blank, what's going on with this thing with Modi and secularism? It looks like he's ending secular India. Yeah, he's moving and, towards a majority Hindu and, well, and, and really and disenfranchising the Muslim More than majority, community. he is majority. Now, what he's taught, what he's, the new law basically says if you're a Muslim, you got to be able to prove in an impossible way that you came here two generations ago. Right. And they're trying to pretend that it's an anti-immigration law. Mm -hmm. But what it really is is an anti-Muslim because if you're a Christian, you don't have to prove it. Right. And you don't have to prove it if you're a, if you're a, if you're a you're Buddhist. Hindu or a Sikh. Hindu, yeah. Sikh, anybody. Yeah. You know, you just come on in and say, I am. Not a, not a, not a Muslim. Yeah. yeah. So I understand the fear in the Middle East of the rise of Muslim fundamentalism. I believe it's going to get much worse. We'll talk about that in a second. So the things I wanted to add besides the coronavirus and its impact, which is you know, basing up... I have some few questions on that okay, we'll take later separately. on the show. So if you take, if you take the, the what are called macroeconomic depressants, mm -hmm. okay? So coronavirus, clearly one of them, take it aside. The slowing the growth of China, clearly one of them. The continuing trade war with the, the Americans, which never really ended, that, that deal that he announced is nothing. There's $385 billion of the Chinese tariffs still in effect, which means we're being taxed, the American people. Um, and, and he got nothing that he wanted out of it. There was a really a Fareed Zakaria two Sundays ago did a brilliant analysis of how bad the, the Chinese deal is not a deal, which is, by the way, the same thing is true. That, the, the USMCA. The USMCA not deal. is not much of a deal. No. It has a little bit labor protection improvement, for, which the Democrats wanted, but there's mm -hmm. nothing there the Republicans wanted. And um, the new bill that's about to pass in the next five days, which is going to push off the debt ceiling consideration for two years, that bill, which will get through like a hot knife through butter, through uh, both the, um, that'll get through the House, the Senate, and Trump will sign it has a writer that says he can't put any money on it for the wall. Uh, what did the Democrats agree to do? The Democrats agreed that they wouldn't um, try to splice out some of his pet projects. So it'll go through, and it'll get passed. And, and, and with almost a certainty, somewhere between now and 2030, which is only 10 years away, the total amount of debt in the United States will equal 100% of the GDP. So that means we'll have as much debt as, we, as we've got gross income. That's kind of scary That's for a country that has been much scary. more solvently run. And that rolls into the first topic I wanted to ask you about, which is there's a new report out by Harvard Business School on U.S. competitiveness, which says that basically the nation wasted this major economic recovery. It did. And with the tax cuts that happened, I think, in 2018, Terrible. Um, um, it's recently been reported that 91 companies in the S&P 
500 did not pay one dollar of tax last well, year. Well, and there's a report Just Capital did <clears throat> where we analyzed um, how the money was used for the tax cut. And I, 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 from memory, as I recall the report, and I urge people to go online to justcapital.com and, and look it up, but the report, I think, said something like 85% of the benefits of that tax bill, which were supposed to spur new plant and hiring. Right, and investment in infrastructure yeah, and okay. business. So none of that happened. 85% went to shareholders, investment banks, and senior management. 85%. And that's why, when you look at the impact, the rich got richer again. Right. Considerably, I would say probably 50% of the total benefits of that tax cut went to the top 1%, easily. Yeah. And another 40% went to the next 1%. Right. And so you're talking about nothing trickles down. Nothing trickles Because trickle-down down economics never made sense under Reagan. It still doesn't make sense today. And between the tax cuts and other legislation that Trump has signed since January 2017, there's a, they're, they're estimating that... It, $4.7 trillion has been added to the national debt, and I think that that, by 2029, in the yeah. last next 10 years, that's yeah. the estimate. And that's, I've seen other... I think that's I've seen, low. Yeah, I've seen other reporting that that's actually estimated at like $5.5 trillion. So it, it, yeah. whether it's 4.7 or 5.5 or the, more, it's... Yeah, correct. and what's wrong with that number in, in both directions is that nobody can say what it's going to be because this administration mm -hmm. shows no restraint whatsoever. Right. So if there is a new administration in 2021, one of the first things they're going to be dealing with is an economic crisis, mm -hmm. a pretty good sized one. My guess is it's going to hit in 2020, but maybe it's 2021. Whatever it is, whether it's Trump back in power because the Russians put him back in power, or whether it's it's the um, there's a Democrat elected, whichever way it goes, the scope, the scope of the economic crisis they will be facing will make it so similar to 2008 or larger right. that we'll be talking about how do we get out of this mess and how right. do we let this happen again. And the answer is we let the really, really wealthy milk us. Right. And I think, I think that, that was one of the main topics at Davos uh, yeah, in well, terms of the future of capitalism. And, yeah, and okay, let's talk about Davos for a second. Yeah. Technical name for Davos is the World Economic Forum. So if you ever hear the initials WEF, that's what it's referring to as the Davos meeting. So Davos this year, Klaus, who, who runs Davos, actually sought out Just Capital and said, we'd like to make a series of meetings, which he, Klaus, personally would send the invitations out for, to showcase how we have to really embrace what we call at Just Capital stakeholder capitalism, which means capitalism for the benefit of all the stakeholders. So shareholder capitalism is shareholders win, everybody else loses. Um, executive capitalism is executives win and everybody else loses. Shareholder executive capitalism is what we've been having for the last 40, 50 years. And we got everybody got hurt except the very wealthy and senior executives. As evidenced by the tax cut, for example. Exactly. And, and, and frankly, even before the tax cut, as evidenced by the fact that private equity players pay 15% on their income and I pay 39%. Where's that fair? Um, uh, it's, it's a silly loophole. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so the tax code has been riddled with loopholes to benefit those people wealthy enough to afford lawyers, accountants, and lobbyists. And if you can't afford that, right. you're going to get the short end of the stick. Uh, I mean, if you look at the, um, the uh, most recent decision, I think it was yesterday, the Supreme Court, where they invalidated um, by five to four decision, the lower court, had said, you can't put a wealth criteria on green cards, meaning you can't 
say somebody can be denied a green card who otherwise qualifies for right. citizenship because, and listen to this, because they may at some point in the past or have at some point in the future received any right. federal benefit. Well, federal benefit would be one food stamp. Right. It would be having taken your kid to the hospital once on the CHIP yep. program. Yep. No, it's I mean, so it's criminal. And I think what they did was they, they sided with the Trump administration yes, to allow this wealth requirement. Yeah, they did. In, in for yeah. legal, this is for legal immigrants yeah. in the United States. Yeah. And, uh, the green cards. The, 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 new, the new definition of who constitutes a, quote, public charge is going to thwart thousands and thousands of low-income immigrants from being able to ever obtain legal permanent residency. That's right. These and are we, legal immigrants. These are not yeah. people who have come here without documentation. Yeah. That's or, right. And, and, um, and, 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 and I want you to add something to that. I, there's a massive number of people that are getting thrown off of the food stamp program. Right. Which is kind of un, I mean, un, really unconscionable. I mean, so if you are the food stamp program, yeah. you are clearly not one of the top 2%. I mean, you know. No, even even if there's any kind of grift in there, it's it's very minor compared to the people that it's helping. It's it's nothing. It, it's nothing, and and the reason I'm mentioning it is because to, to to do a double whammy like that, to reduce dramatically the food stamp program, you're going to add so much more food insecurity for children. You're going to add so much more homelessness. Mm-hmm. You're going to add so much more social. Right. M- maligned individuals. You're, you're basically what you're doing is you're destabilizing your economy because of a little bit of extra greed at the top. And my question is, when's enough enough at the top? My right. God, don't right. you have enough already? I mean, it, it, there's so much wealth concentrated in so few hands that even the business roundtable knows it's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry uh, uh, Fink uh, has written two BlackRock, Blackrock two, mm-hmm. two, two letters in a row each January of last year and January of this year. Basically saying this has got to end because it's not sustainable economically, which it's not. No, and, and this is sort of this whole war on the poor, which is exacerbated by the tremendous wealth inequalities, yeah. which are just growing and growing and growing. And I think that's the pitchforks idea that uh, Ray Dalio was talking about in yeah. terms of this is not going to end well. No, no. I, is, I, I, I don't see how it ends without violence. Yeah. And and. If the, if the institutions of our government hold up, which I'm not saying when they will, and uh, Trump is impeached for clearly all the crimes and he's committed, um, there will be bloodshed. Because yeah. there will be, somebody said to me that uh, um, 80% of the Trumpies, the Trumpies have 80% of the guns and the never Trumpers have 80% of the brains. I wonder who's going to get bloody. <laughs> no, that was, they, were, yeah. they were bragging, like, yeah. you might be smart, yeah. but we got the guns. Right. And, well. and, and I think the Trump once said something like that. We've got the police, we've got the skinheads or whatever. So I think that there is going to be bloodshed. The question is how much, and will it, will it, will it really devolve into a full-scale civil war, which it could. Now, why do I think that's the possibility? Because when you put the economy into the pressure cooker it's under, and you abuse it the way we're abusing it, driving up the deficits massively, taking money away from the poor, reducing food stamps, reducing the emphasis on homelessness, eliminating the controls over the quality of our, our food and water. When you do all that stuff, and you do it because you want to benefit your buddies in the oil industry, in the oil and gas industry, or you want to benefit your buddies at the country club, what you're doing is creating a situation which is not unlike... What Marie Antoinette said just before she got her head chopped off. Let them eat cake. Right. As if they had the option of eating cake. They were in her courtyard at Versailles because they couldn't eat anything. 
They couldn't eat straw. And right now, the American public is suffering from food scarcity. The American public is suffering from massive, like 40 million people are still uninsured for health reasons. Right, there's health insecurity, there's housing insecurity, which is growing. Right. Homelessness, there's food insecurity. Food insecurity. And there's safety insecurity because right. you don't think your kids can go to school safely right. without getting shot. Right. And right. if you're a 12-year-old, your whole life has been spent ducking the, doing a duck and drill. And that's not to mention the, sort of the climate anxiety, which Correct. is coming. Which is, every day you're seeing yes. fires, yes. floods yes. all over it's, the globe. And that, and that people who are most affected by that are the youth. And, and, the poor. and 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 the poor and also the you know the people who work in those industries are really aware of what what it means and it, it and what's tragic to... what's so tragic it's all fixable right in fact the wealthy will do better if they take yeah. care of the yeah. less unfortunate one of the other things that the Harvard Business School report on competitive competitiveness pointed out was that the business community's role in politics has made a significant contribution to the dysfunction in Washington because of the lobbying interests and because of the the industry interests in in not letting us deal with healthcare, not letting us deal with our fossil fuel addiction. These things, these entrenched interests, have really yeah. perverted our whole economy over yeah. this last I, I mean, thirty years. I think that um, it may be we've gone so far down the wrong track. We can't turn around at this point without violence. Uh, and if violence erupts, all bets are off because then you don't know where it's going to end up. You know, violence is what Hitler used to create the Third Reich. Mm -hmm. And by, you know, he triggered violence and then he claimed it was the, the, the... Yeah, that's what Putin did, by the way, to get elected. Yeah. So, I was just listening to a report on yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, the, so it's, it's a time-honored tactic of any autocrat. Mm -hmm. and, and clearly, Trump has no affection for anything but himself. So I, 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 I don't know how we get out of it. But if we do get into it, all bets are off because we don't, you never know when you have violence where it will end. But let's say for a moment that we come through this next period of, say, two, three years without a full-blown civil war, but a major realignment. Um, it is likely that under the most optimistic scenario I can envision, we still would never regain what we were since, say, World War II mm -hmm. in the United States. And that's a tragedy because the world kind of wanted us mm -hmm. to help be the world's cop. And, and there's a real difference between world, being the world's policeman and being the world's military. You know, uh, every civilian society has police. And everybody feels it's perfectly okay to have police arrest criminals. For some reason, we haven't taken that same principle to the national level. If we saw our militaries as reduced because they wouldn't need to deal with foreign conflict, if we really said we've got, we've got our weapons are too powerful, our relationships are too unstable, there's too much riding on it, we can't go to war with each other as countries anymore. It'd be a great start. It would be a great start. And, and then you'd say, well, what's the purpose of the military in a world beyond war? And the answer is reconstruction. Mm -hmm. We have so much work to do yeah. to reconstruct it's this planet. It's the recovery that mm -hmm. we need. It's the mitigation yep. we need. It's the cleanup. I mean, and the two things I think that, that the government really sees as the most major pressing problems are, are climate change and the the issues that are happening there and the refugees which are coming. Th those kinds of global problems which are going to destabilize regions. Uh, there was a UN High Commissioner on Refugees suggested there's going to be millions and millions of climate refugees in the coming years. And they are suggesting that we should have a, a status of refugee 
climate refugee. That should be a recognized yeah. status. And the only thing I take exception to that, that statement is, it isn't millions. It's a, we already got millions. It's billions, really. Yeah. It's billions. It's certainly hundreds of yeah. millions, if not billions. But, certainly uh, hundreds of millions. The ruling suggests that this should be, they should not be sent back to their, their countries of origin if they're running from the loss of land, for example. They don't have land to go back to. Their or farms, threat of physical violence. Threat of but that's linked to this, yeah. But even just, oh, it makes me ill. Well, it, but you know, it, it raises an interesting thing. And that is, if you assume that people are not going to be able to continue living, surviving, where they have lived for hundreds if not thousands, thousands of, years, of years, then you have two choices. Either you become a culture of, of mayhem, and you go, you know what? Let them drown like rats in the ocean, which is what they're letting them do, by the way. Right. Or you say, wait a minute, they're human beings. Collectively, can we create enough wealth to support every human being on the planet so that they can survive? And the answer is not only can we do it, it would make us even richer if we did. So when you look at wait, World War II, you look at 1946, people were starving in Germany. They were eating out of tin cans if they were lucky. They were starving in Japan. And that continued for about a year or two. But we went in there and we fed them and we taught them how to rebuild their schools and their bridges and their aqueducts and their, and their sewer systems and their hospitals. And lo and behold, within five years, by 1950-something, 50-51, Europe was on the way back. I mean, they were doing Gina Lola Brigida pictures in 1953, 54. So it, it was like... The turnaround was, was rapid, once, Very rapid once the investment was, was made. And in fact, I think there's more people who are literate today than there were at, like, at the end of World War II. Although the questions are more complex. Uh, well, And the source of and answers this, is and, more right, confusing. And, and, and more people are not living in abject, abject poverty on a global scale than, than they were back then. But we're in, headed in the wrong direction. I think we've we've we reached this apex, which is now being destabilized. Yeah, exactly. And wh exactly. which direction is it going to go? Is it is a question? No, it's not a question. We know, and and the and the question is, can we stop it? Right. Uh, and and, and um, that's why I'm, you know when I was pointing out earlier in the show, you've got all these data points you want to be watching if you're a concerned citizen. You want to be watching when green cards get changed with the wealth cause. You want to be watching when people lose their benefits from um, the so-called able-bodied worker mm -hmm. uh, benefit under uh, food stamps. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to watch it when you see the CHIP program, the child program being cut back. You've got to watch it when you see homelessness rising. Mm -hmm. You've got to watch it when you see food insecurity rising. You've got to watch it when you see that the value of gold keeps outpacing the value of stocks, which basically is a hedge on fear okay, and, and on inflation, which... Turns out to be accurate. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd love to go back. In fact, we should get Benjamin to go back to 2011 and do a, a, a cumulative change of the price of gold. I think we got in around 1150, something like that. Okay. Certainly wouldn't have been higher than 12. And today it's at what 1500. 1570. 1570. Mm -hmm. So you know, I mean, that's a heck of a run mm -hmm. for a commodity that has no value except it peace of mind. Right. Well, it's a symbolic value. It's, it is, it's a security well, value. It, it, what it is is it's a value that the public knows the government can't mess with. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the more messing up the government does, the more valuable gold becomes. And that's going to continue to rise indefinitely as long as we continue to run the economy so poorly. So it, 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 what do I hope comes out of the show is that people start looking at the things that matter. Mm -hmm. 
what Trump tweets does not matter. You know, he's guilty. We all know it. There's, we're past that. You know, what the Senate will do about it is the Senate's issue. But we know he's guilty. We know the Russians interfered with our last election. We know they're doing it now. We know that they can hack our voting machines. We know there's 13 states where they can literally turn the machine in a totally different direction. And we know they did it in a couple couple counties in Florida. And, and we know that the voting machines in Kentucky, where Mitch McConnell will get reelected, are, can be controlled by the Russians. So since the Russians wanted Trump in and they want to keep him in, and McConnell succeeding in doing that, I'd say the Russians and McConnell and Trump, so Moscow Mitch, Mafia Don, and Putin are a trio who for their own individual reasons, and only one of them is winning at this game, Putin, for their own individual reasons, have been on a tear. I mean, when, when you look at the amount of destruction Trump has created in just three years, I mean, he's put the World Bank basically at the edge of insolvency. Mm -hmm. He's put the uh, International Monetary Fund at the edge of irrelevancy. He's broken up the European Union. He's promoted Brexit. Broken up NATO, basically. Broken up NATO, and well, he <laughs> hasn't broken that up yet because he, they, they won't listen to him there. But it, but then the piece de resistance was yesterday at the White House. So he brings his buddy Netanyahu over to quote unveil his peace plan, which I haven't heard yet today. I assume it's out. <laughs> and of course, it's going to be silly. And now he does the trumpets blaring and does he do this whole big promotional thing with Netanyahu. Who, if he doesn't get reelected, in the last two times he tried to get reelected, he was not allowed. And he's been indicted now. He's been indicted. And here's the best part: he invites the competitor Benny Gantz to come over, and then bars reporters from the meeting with him and Benny. So even though Gantz was in Washington, nobody's going to see him on TV. No one's going to read about him. It was all about Netanyahu and his buddy Trump, because Trump and Netanyahu believe so that will play well in Israel. Yep. Now, what'll be interesting to see if the Israelis buy it. If they do, they're going to get what they deserve, candidly. Yeah. They're going to get such a rotten deal because this guy, there's a, what was that book Rick, Rick Stearns wrote? It was Rick Stevens' brother wrote, Everything Trump Touches Dies. Right, you were tell, we were talking about that yesterday. You know, so if you look at the litany of the people he's touched, whether it's Manafort, Cohen, I mean, I can go Look at Pompeo and the, the all, death throes that he's going through yeah, right Pompeo, now. Pompeo, you know, he's never going to be senator of Kansas, yeah. and he had it he had, if he wanted it three right. months ago. And he's only going to get into more trouble. I mean, the, the thing he did with the NPR reporter is insane. I mean, it's what desperate people do mm -hmm. when they don't know which way to turn. And yet, even though Trump systematically assassinates everybody when he's done with them, they, he still has this thing where they fear him. It, it's truly a mafia-style control. It's like fear-based control. You, you don't do what I want, and I will primary you, and you'll be out of politics. Mm -hmm. And I just wish more politicians i.e. Senate Republicans, cared more about their country mm -hmm. than he did about re-election. Uh, you know, life is not so bad for an ex-senator, if that's what happened to you. And if you do that with dignity, you could save your party. If you do it by basically doing whatever Trump wants you to do his bidding, you're going down with Trump. Now, Trump's going down one way or the other. He's either going to go down at the end of a very long, nasty war, which he will lose, just like Hitler lost his war. Mm -hmm. Or he's going to go down because the institutions have enough life left in them to stop this unbelievable grab for complete monarchical power. For one man in this country to say, I am above the law, Article 2 says I can do anything I want, is so far from the founding well, of this nation. It stretches the meaning of the Constitution. Well, it, it, it eliminates it. It, it. Yeah, it shreds yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, and it puts you back to where we were with George III. We did this because we didn't want a king in the first place. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is, trust me, I'd make a good king. Oh, and my daughter would make a good queen after me. Right. Okay. Right. It's like it's, we're, we're done with the divine right of kings. And I just really feel bad that it's come to this. But that's well, where we are. 
We have time for one more topic if you want to go. Sure, yeah, what's that? Um, well, I was going to dig more a little bit into coronavirus. Do. Okay, uh, today, the U.S. consulate staff and other Americans are being evacuated uh, from, from been, Wuhan. They should have been two weeks um, ago. The death toll, as of latest recording that I saw, was about 106 of people who've actually died, and there's like much about 5,000 reported cases within China. Um, and it's being shut down, and the panic that I keep hearing about there is is pretty high. Yeah, it should be. And and not just the people who are stuck in mm. the in the zone, in but the, the ones right on the other side of the river, for example. They're like, what are we going to do when people start fleeing this? Well, I'll give you another one. So a confirmed case area. of the coronavirus showed up in Orange, <clears throat> California. I think there's been a handful of cases in the United just States. Just think about that. Just one case in Orange, California. How many people could have been infected by that case? Mm-hmm. Before they caught that case, and we don't know the answer. We don't. As as um, the Chinese Minister of Health said, it's very tough to try and contain an outbreak of this virility because people have already flown on airplanes for right. weeks. People have already gone yep. on trains for weeks. Yeah. So I, the bad part of the Chinese government is how ruthless they are when they decide to do something. The good part is they have been swinging into action this time. Unlike the last time unlike we saw SARS, it, right? unlike that. And I have a lot of confidence that they're willing to take whatever draconian steps they need to to try and bottle this up. Will we clean it up? I think we will, but we don't know until we know more about the virus itself. We don't, yeah, we don't really understand the virus. It we has, don't. I think right now they're estimating it has about 3% mortality rate, which is on par with the 1918 influenza virus, Interesting. which killed 50 million people worldwide. Yeah. I mean, this is a different world. We have better medications. We do, but we also have way more people in we, close proximity. And they are moving around the globe in That's ways right. that they did not move around yeah. in yeah. 2018. So that, what you, what you just described is classically referred to as a pandemic. Yes. And well, so SARS almost became a pandemic, stopped short. Um, HIV became a pandemic. Uh, I would say what happened in Africa with, um, what do you call it, um, uh, Ebola. The Ebola breakout in Africa a few years ago was pandemic in that region, but they did stop it. They stopped it there, but then when it moved into the areas which had more unrest, I mean, there's still a, yeah. an outbreak happening, and the, yes. the WHO and other intergovernmental right. organizations yes. are not able to get in there because yep. there's so much distrust of well, it's, NGOs. Well, it's not just and, distrust. I mean, it's, it's what you got there is the hope of Boko Haram. Right, is a, yeah is a basically crazy terrorist group which captures girls and forces them to be sex slaves and so, quote, bribes so close Basically, quote. we do not know what's going to happen there. No, we do know. In we know for a fact what's going to happen. They're going to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Words, see, Boko Haram, because they're primitive, don't realize that by keeping who, WHO, out and others, what they're doing is making a condition where nobody in their territory will be alive. Now, because they put a perimeter of weapons around their territory, in other words, Nobody goes into their territory because you get killed, right? Right. So who's going to die if the virus is trapped in there? All of them. All of them. It's it's crazy because yeah. there's a lot of innocent people there, but they're going right. to die too. I think, though, that the chances of it becoming a pandemic are less than they were even under SARS because the Chinese government learned its lesson under SARS. It learned as well as it needed to, but it did learn it. And I think it's taking a lot of very dramatic proactive steps. And if they do that, we should in the West be able to curtail or confine a single, like, you got one person in Orange County, okay, you can figure out 
who that guy talked to. Right. The, the Pretty much. 50, 75, 100 people he came in contact with over right. the last two weeks. You and sh- contact each and every one of them, put them in a... Incubator. Incubator somewhere for two weeks. And that's what they're doing with these people who they're bringing back, the Chinese, the South Koreans. China, Um, Xi himself, decreed two weeks ago he wanted two new hospitals built in Wuhan just for this epidemic. They did it it in six days. That's right. They just opened. Yeah. It's amazing. Isn't that incredible? So, So you've got that ability to respond tangentially at the same time with all the abuse that goes on. So from the point of view, the Chinese are on it and, and being aggressive and the fact that we are not asleep in the West, for example, everybody coming through, I believe, L.A. and San Francisco from China is being heat screened. Mm-hmm. So they have these thermometers that just touch on the forehead. Right, right. And so with that going on, we're going we're gonna to tend to think mm-hmm. to get control of it in the West and it will burn itself out in China if the Chinese do their job. And the Chinese are risking the lives of 50 million people. That, that's how many people are in the district that, that right. they've cordoned off. I think it's actually 85,000. 7, 85 million now? Um, oh, I don't know. So over 50 million people are affected by the quarantine. And I think that's amazing that they yeah. would do that. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, 82,000 people potentially have the virus right, right, right. in this quarantine. Yeah, but I'm talking about 50 million people in the quarantine area. So, right. And the reason why it's significant is, think about it. you got to get food into those 50 million people. Right. you got to get medicine in there. Food, medicine... All of the normal fuel, things. yeah, it's all got to go in. So, how do you get that in and not have people come out with the virus? I mean, it's it's a weird thing. I, I just I, I'm so glad that they're being aggressive. Mm-hmm. I have very hopeful that they will contain it and that we will likewise contain it in the West. Okay, well that's that's good. And then I mean, there's other fallout though too. We were talking earlier about some of the market uh, market results of of yeah. this kind of thing happening. Well, the market has reacted negatively to coronavirus. Yeah. Because they don't know where it ends. And the uncertainty, the market hates uncertainty. But I think that um, if I were the market, I'd be more concerned I'd be more concerned today with the inflated values of the stock market. I'd be more concerned about the fundamentals we talk about on this program that are fundamentally broken, the, the runaway spending, um, the fact that we are doing nothing to cut back and just printing more money and printing more money. This country has become the Pancho V of the modern era. You know, he thought he could pay for the Mexican Revolution by printing presses. And he printed himself into hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. dollar has lost its strength internationally. It will continue to do so inevitably for the next two decades. Um, someone asked me today, do you think the greenback has a future to re- become, again, uh, the global reserve currency? And the answer is no. So, even even if Trump is out of office and yeah. we actually stabilize our government. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen if Trump leaves office one way or the other is, Whoever takes over is going to have to stabilize our relationships. Mm-hmm. And that means you're going to have to make new deals with partners you never had to deal with before. It used to be if you were the United States, you could get what you want pretty much. Ain't going to happen anymore. And I think you're going to see some other things. If, if Trump is gone, I think the Congress is going to strongly come out in favor of limitations on executive power. They're going to say it was never in the law that the president could use tariffs as a political tool. So, and he did it, and we didn't stop him. That's one thing I'm going to see a change in the law, because that was totally illegal. Tariffs are not designed for that, and he completely abused the tariff system. And in the process, he's he's basically jeopardized the World Trade Authority. I mean, he's really screwed World Trade. But let me go one step further. If, in fact, Trump is gone, you still have to repair our credibility that we will, in the future, honor our word when we have been so bad at breaking our word recently. 
So we're no longer looked at as the honorable nation you can trust. We're looked at as a big bully. Right. And with what we've done with our tariffs, we deserve that title. Now, one last thing, and that is how this is all spinning through with Iran. So Iran, um, where we had a great deal, they weren't building nuclear weapons, is now full tilt building nuclear weapons, further destabilizing the planet. And they're in crisis because of what we did to their economy. And they're imminently, I think, I don't see how you avoid conflict in the Middle East. I don't see how you avoid it. And for Trump to put the Israelis in the position where they have to stop the bullet from all the Sunnis and the Shia that might fight with each other, and specifically the Shia that will attack them, I, I don't see how that's survivable as a technology. The only thing it concerns me is that you know, Israel's capable of launching nuclear weapons. Right. And that sort of does a whole other level of craziness. whole other level. Okay. Well, we're going to have to end here. Is there any last comment? How do you want this show to end? What do you want well, to like part to end, uh, our listeners with? Well, here's, like, look, <laughs> it's a little terrifying No, it is. It, you know what? But that's, you know, look, forewarned is forearmed. Mm-hmm. So our job on this show is to, to point out the things that are problematic. And they give you suggestions for how to minimize the adverse impact on you. Um, and, and if we can do that, if we can help people understand how these pieces fit together and what the cause and effects are, and to stop looking at the Dow Jones as if it's some magic yardstick, which is not, because with the Dow Jones, is it's a way of measuring how the rich get richer. Okay, That's all it is. It's only 30 stocks. Okay, If you look at the S&P 500, it's a better measure of how the rich get richer, but it's just a measure of how the rich get richer. Most people in this country are not going to be better off or worse off because the stock market goes up another 10 or 15 or 20 percent. They are certainly going to be worse off when it goes down 20 or 30 percent. And at that point, I hope it breaks their addiction to looking at the market instead of looking at what's fundamental, which is how do you take care of your family? How do you get enough life insurance? How do you get enough medical insurance? How do you get a decent job? How do you put food on the table? How do you take care of the basic necessities? And the answer is, if you're not going out to vote for those basic necessities, which I think should include Medicare for all. I love Medicare. I mean, the health crisis my wife just went through. Holy cow, without Medicare, I'd be finished. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do believe that there are solutions for all of these things. And I'm stunned, I'm shocked, I'm disappointed that we aren't using what we know to implement those solutions. So the way I'd like to leave it is, let's be positive. We can turn this around, but we haven't, it hasn't grabbed our attention adequately yet, I guess. Right. We have to still be talking about the silliness. Right. We have to acknowledge the crisis and actually get active together. Deal with it. Yeah. And vote. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And and I want to, I guess we're out of time, right? We are out of time. Too bad, because I was going to say, I, a lot of people have taken a shot at the New York Times for a dual endorsement of, of Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, I actually think it was a really interesting idea. And I'm not a big fan of letting the New York Times pick my next president for any reason. But I got to tell you, the idea of picking one woman who represents a radical departure from the past, which probably is what we need in order to fix how badly this is broken, Elizabeth Warren, versus a very bright, capable, hard-hitting, uh, extremely bright uh, woman who wants to have a more centrist more incremental approach to how to fix the mess if if she'll give me given the time to do it pointing out that these two poles of opinion are the two best ways to resolve the crisis somewhere between these poles is the answer that most people will go for notice that none nothing in between those poles is like the republican party right now 
if they're, they're comparing a really great, very disruptive liberal progressive agenda, Warren, with a less disruptive liberal agenda, Klobuchar. But at the end of the day, they're both progressive agendas saying, let's get, the, let's get taking care of people again. And that's where we have to go as a society. We have to put the people back gotta put into, people back. We back gotta into care. the White House. We've got to yeah. start caring. we yeah. just got to start caring. Yeah. And, you know, if we don't, we're, we get, and there's, uh, there's this great quote, I'll end with this. Uh, I think it was I.F. Stone said, in a democracy, people inevitably get better than they deserve. Because if you don't vote, you actually deserve worse than what you got. And don't get much worse than this, short of a French Revolution. Thanks for the show, Christy. Thanks so much, Ronaldo.